0: I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I grew up in Chicago, decades after the death and funeral of fellow Chicagoan Emmett Till. But his tragic story still lingered. The 14-year-old's lynching in 1955 spurred the Civil Rights Movement and inspired action from activists like Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. A lot has changed in the realm of racial justice over the 66 years since. But as far as Emmett Till's case goes, still, no one has been convicted. And in December 2021, the U.S. government closed the case entirely, assuring that at the federal level, at least, there will be no justice. Today, we're updating an episode we first brought you in August 2020, at the tail end of a summer dominated by conversations about white supremacy in the United States. My colleague, Priyanka Tilvey, was the co-producer of that episode. Hey, Malika. Hi, Priyanka. So remind us where the idea for this episode
1: came from. Well, so that summer, summer 2020, we all remember was rocked by these waves of Black Lives Matter protests. They kicked off originally because of George Floyd's killing.
2: George Floyd died in police custody after an officer pressed his knee into Floyd's neck for at least seven minutes.
1: But then they swelled into these protests about police brutality against black Americans more generally and systemic racism on a wide scale.
0: Protests like this one have sprung up across continents, in rich cities and in poor ones, but with one message that racism is the other pandemic the world needs to address.
1: While that was all happening, our engagement producer at the time, Natalia Aldana, realized that the 65th anniversary of Emmett Till's killing was right around the corner. And when you think of the phrase, no justice, no peace, which was everywhere at the time, I mean, Emmett Till's story just kind of encompasses that. Mm.
0: Right. So to anyone who doesn't know who Emmett Till was, can you briefly tell us his story?
1: Yeah. So... Emmett was a teenager in 1955. He grew up in Chicago, and that summer, he went to Mississippi to spend some time with family there. Months later, he came back home in a casket. He was beaten beyond recognition. The story goes, and his family confirms, that he whistled at a white woman named Carolyn Bryant, and her family attacked him in revenge. When Emmett's mother saw his body, she decided to hold an open casket funeral so the world would have to contend with what white attackers had done to her son.
2: I was forced to deal with this face. I saw that his tongue was choked out. The right eye was lying on midway his cheek. His nose had been broken like somebody took a meat chopper and chopped his nose in several places as i kept looking i saw a hole which i presumed was a bullet hole and i wondered was it necessary to shoot it mr rayner asked me he said uh do you want me to touch the body up I said, no, Mr. Rayner, let the people see what I've seen.
1: Emmett's lynching was on the front page of magazines and newspapers. People did see what Mamie Till Mobley had seen, but the men who attacked her son were still acquitted. And that history felt really relevant to the calls for racial justice we were seeing across the U.S. in August 2020. So it all seemed to tie together. And that's why it was so important to us in that moment that we do this episode. In fact, during those protests
0: in August 2020, Emmett Till's name kept coming up as the first in a long list of Black boys and girls for whom protesters are seeking justice. Here's Letitra Whitman, the sister of Jacob Blake, a Black man who police shot seven times in Wisconsin on August 23rd, 2020. He's now partially paralyzed.
2: So many people have reached out to me, telling me they're sorry that this happened to my family. Well, don't be sorry, because this has been happening to my family for a long time. It happened to Emmett Till. Mm. Emmett Till is my family. Philando, Mike Brown, Mm. Sandra. This has been happening to my family. And I've shared tears for every single one of these people that it's happened to.
0: We wanted to know what Emmett Till's family thinks of today's anti-racism movement and how their personal search for justice is going. And so it was clear who we should call.
2: I'm Deborah Watts, cousin of Emmett Till and the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation co-founder.
0: When people try to imagine Emmett Till often, it might be the image of his brutalized face that comes to mind. But Deborah has a different sketch of Emmett in her house. I saw it in the background of our Zoom call. Can you tell me about the picture behind your shoulder? It's like a sketch of your cousin.
2: Yes, that was a drawing done by a young man in our community. And it is an iconic picture of Emmett during his heyday. And, you know, he was a a wonderful dresser. His mother took great pride in his looks. And so did he, and rightfully so. He had a lot of swag. Mm -hmm. And I think that picture captures it with the hat, with the tie, and just dressed so nicely. That's what I want to remember about him, his dreams, his hopes. That's what that picture represents.
0: I want to go back to 1955. I know you were just a toddler at the time, but what, if anything, do you remember about the circumstances surrounding your cousin's death? And how did it affect you and your family throughout your life?
2: Yes, that's a great question. I remember when Mamie Till Mobley and mother traveled to Omaha, Nebraska, which is where I lived, to speak about the atrocities that happened, also what was happening around the country. I want you all to support this wonderful organization because they alone can get laws on the books that will stop this thing that has been happening. And unless we can get enforceable laws, we might as well just forget everything. Our family, over the years, saw and witnessed Mamie speaking out, pushing for justice for Emmett, appearing at rallies on her 47-year journey to seek justice for Emmett Till. So we were always rooting for her, rooting for justice, awe of her courage, her strength, and her determination.
0: Emmett Till's story has had some twists and turns over the past 66 years. For decades after his death, his family and their allies urged prosecutors to convict the two men who lynched him. Carolyn Bryant testified at her husband's murder trial that Emmett had whistled at her and threatened sexual assault. Her husband was quickly acquitted. In 2017, a book came out that quoted Carolyn Bryant, admitting that her testimony was a lie, that Emmett did whistle at her but never made sexual advances. But in another twist, Bryant has since denied admitting that. The whole thing compelled the FBI to revisit the investigation into Emmett's killing. But three years later, there was still no verdict. I asked Deborah at the time how she felt about that.
2: We believe that it is important that Sherilyn is held accountable for her role in Emmett's kidnapping and murder because uh, someone had to identify Emmett. And we believe that was Carolyn Bryant. Also, we strongly believe that she needs to be charged with murder, whether it's an accomplice, whether it's culpable negligence, whatever area, but we think the law should not bypass this opportunity. We think the legal system has, justice has been denied, and Carolyn Bryant had a warrant for her arrest, but it was never served. So we think we could push that clock back and do the right thing, serve the warrant, bring her in, her with murder and then move forward through the legal process. 65 years is a long time to be waiting. So we're going to need everyone to help push this forward.
0: On December 6, 2021, Deborah Watts and the rest of the Emmett Till Legacy Foundation received some bad news. The Department of Justice had decided to close the reinvestigation of Emmett's abduction and murder. It said there wasn't enough evidence to pursue charges. Deborah went on MSNBC to talk about the update.
2: We are very disappointed by the Department of Justice's decision to close their investigation in Emmett's case. But we are going to be pushing forward in Emmett's name, in Mamie Mobley's name, his mother, who fought for 47 years for accountability and justice in her son's case. And so the state of Mississippi has an opportunity to bring justice in this case. We're hoping that at the state level, Lynn Fitch, who's the attorney general, along with D.A. Richardson, that they would have the courage in Mississippi to bring this forward. We don't hold out any hate for Carolyn. There's no vengeance in our heart. We just want justice to prevail in this case. And Emmett deserves it, our country deserves it, and certainly our family deserves it.
0: In that interview, we hear Deborah broaden out Emmett's case to a cause beyond him. And that was true in our last chat as well, in August 2020. At the time, the country was preparing for a virtual, because of the pandemic, March on Washington. So August 28th is the anniversary of Emmett Till's death, but it is also the anniversary of the March on Washington. Now, for our international listeners, this was a protest rally of about 250,000 people in 1963. It's where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It was really this national moment. What do you remember about that time?
2: Well, the March on Washington, of course, from a historical perspective, that date The organizers, from my understanding, chose that date because of Emmett's uh, murder and because of the galvanizing of people across the country and in the world to stand up against the kind of racist actions that were taking place, laws that were blocking African-Americans from participating in our democracy. That was a time of people being proud to exercise their voice, not fearing the kind of retaliation that was received back in 1955, but finding strength in numbers, finding strength in using media as a way to amplify our voice. That's what happened with Emmett Till as well. The NAACP, that's
0: one of the oldest civil rights organizations in the U.S.,
2: used that opportunity to talk about the atrocities, some of the labor laws and rules that needed to be changed and where our people were in terms of their ability to vote. And so we are happy to join in solidarity with anyone that is uh, recognizing that day, but we ask them also to connect Emmett's death to it because it is a significant part of history that needs to be connected. Can't lose sight
0: of, of the significance. How do you think the current fight for justice and equality compares to the civil rights movement of the 1960s?
2: I think there's a lot of comparisons and just the need to continue. We have to identify the things that continue to be demanded. The same outcry of jobs are humanity, racism, violence, police brutality the other stolen lives well, even before Emmett but uh, from Emmett Till and forward with Rihanna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Orlando Castile, and others. So these are unfortunate examples that black lives
0: perhaps don't matter to everyone in the United States and they should recently over the past few months I have noticed this increased push seeing Emmett Till's name on my timeline people pushing the Legacy Foundation, pushing the fact that his story still resonates today. But do you ever hear from people who are surprised that the person who was at the center of this, who accused Emmett, is still alive and that this story does not actually have an ending yet?
2: Yes. (laughs) You know, we are sometimes living in a vacuum and think that everybody understands that when we mention the name Emmett Till that they understand. But I have to recognize that not everyone understands or is knowledgeable. And so what we found on social media, people are thanking us for amplifying story or sharing the story. We have some of our celebrities that are helping us push it out there and they're reaching audiences that we never could reach. And they are acknowledging that this is the first time they've heard about it. I think people are appreciative that we're sharing, that they can connect that photo, first the beautiful picture in it as a young teenager, and then compare it and see the contrast of what hate looks like with the picture of his remains that his mother allowed to be taken. And I really hate talking about it, but it, it just, I get a vision of it and it just so Shifts my thinking sometimes in my spirit. But, you know, the inspiration, the kind of boy that he was, his life, the legacy, his dreams and hopes, the unfortunate kidnapping and murder that's part of the story as well. And then this continuous fight for justice. And we didn't know that people didn't know it. The next generation is counting on us to get this right. And I owe it to the, the Till generation to get it right as well.
0: And that's The Take. This episode was updated by Priyanka Tilve and Nagin Oliayi, and originally produced by Priyanka and Natalia Aldana, with Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Ney Alvarez, Raylan Brashear, Abigail Oniwohacha, and me, Malika Bilal. Aya El Milek is the Take's engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is the story editor and Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back.